The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Dangerous World Podcast, where I get to talk with all kinds of very interesting folks from around the world. At this point, I mean, Africa, Europe, Canada, which, you know, part of North America here, and of course, the US of A. But this is no exception, man. I get to talk with Jeff of Spores Lab this evening. Very, very knowledgeable when it comes to mushrooms of all kinds, not just the ones that you're thinking the psychedelics, the fun ones, right? He also is very, very knowledgeable when it comes to gourmet mushrooms. The one in particular that fascinated me that he was mentioning was this one called Lion's Mane that has brain cell regeneration properties to it. Now, I thought that was impossible. As a kid, you know, my 90s kids can relate. I don't know about other, you know, decades. But um, wasn't it freaking Nancy Reagan that came up with the idea for D.A.R.E.? So that had to have started in the 80s, and then it's popping up in the night. All I can relate to is the 90s kids here. We had Dare. Uh, I had uh, Deputy Payne, P-A-Y-N-E. I hope I don't get sued over that. But he told us over and over again that once you kill brain cells or once they die, they cannot be replaced. And according to Jeff, this lion's mane gourmet mushroom, which he says tastes like lobster, so I'm sold has brain cell regeneration properties. And I'm probably not stating that correctly. Um, but basically what he says is that it, it, it can essentially help aid or fight off Alzheimer's. Um, and you're going to hear that in the episode. Fact after fact after fact, this dude brings forward. Um, so thank you very much, Jeff. You can uh, check out their website, uh, sporeslab.io. And it's a very, very uh, educational kind of stuff that they do out there. They cannot send uh, any products to the United States. They're trying very, very hard and succeeding to keep everything in their operation 100% legal because they do not want their business to uh, suffer any kind of lawsuits or any legality failure and, and nothing like that. And they are uh, you know, keeping things 100% straight up which I appreciate, right? Um, and everyone else should out there too. He talks about um, sort of like an Oaksterdam type situation, uh, like a cannabis cup that was going on here in Oakland in the United States, where they were measuring the different strengths of mushrooms and different labs from around the world, I guess, were um, you know, sending product in, uh, flying product over with themselves, which seems shady, uh, to get these things done, get all this stuff tested. And um, he, they didn't want to participate in it because it would have been illegal. So big, big props to these guys at Spores Lab for uh, obeying the laws and uh, at the same time trying to educate the population on shrooms uh, and gourmet mushrooms as well. So thank you very much, Jeff, for the opportunity here to learn a ton of stuff. I'm going to rattle these uh, housekeeping deals off really quick. As always, you guys know the Patreon subscribers make this show 100%, whether they're giving three, five, or ten dollars. I really, really appreciate you guys. So head on over to patreon.com slash dangerous world podcast 
and become part of the team, become part of the DWP army. Okay. It's not like Joe Biden's brown shirt army where we're not going door to door and knocking on doors and selling you vaccines or asking you if you know any extremists nearby or anything like that. What we're doing here is creating a great show. I hope that you think so, at least because they seem to. Okay. Um, also, DangerousWorldStore.com. I'm going to be adding a couple of shirts on there. I said that last episode, but I really do mean it. I've just been swamped uh, with my day job and obviously um, taking the um, you know workload of the show on my own. But I wouldn't have it any other way, man. I, I, I very much enjoy what I'm doing here. And you guys make it very, very worthwhile. So thank everybody. Again, DangerousWorldStore.com. All t-shirts are $17.76. Last but not least, guys, Manscaped, okay? Quite frankly, not enough of you guys are freaking buying stuff from Manscaped. I know 2 million plus men worldwide are already, you know, supporting Manscaped, supporting a great company that helps fight off testicular cancer. This is the number one cancer that affects young males, okay? I mean, we gotta, we gotta freaking step up the game here, dude. Use the promo code danger at manscaped.com. Get 20% off. Not only is the ball deodorant going to help you since it's summer, since your nuts are sweating. I know all you nasty dudes out there, your balls are sweating just like mine. You ever get swamp ass? Yeah, I do. Okay. And this is why Manscaped comes in clutch, especially in these hot months. Okay. They have this fourth generation performance package that comes with that lawnmower 4.0. That's the perfect pube trimmer, which again, it doesn't know if it's shaving pubes, balls, or your face. Okay. I would just recommend not using the same shaver for all three. You don't want to get that taint juice in your beard. Sometimes I gross myself out. So maybe this is why not enough of you are buying. I'll, uh, I'll tone this down in the next ad. But for now, we got to run with this, okay? Use the promo code DANGER over at manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping. Doesn't matter where you're at, okay? Um, phenomenal products, guys. That Weed Whacker is awesome. They just sent me one of those. They trim the nose hairs, the ear hairs, all that gross stuff that men get once they slack above puberty. Um, so, I mean, you know, help out a great company that helps great podcasts. You know, every one of your favorite podcasts is probably in touch with Manscaped or they will be if they aren't already. So thank you guys for your continued support. And again, get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code danger at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code danger at manscaped.com. Escape the shrubs and weeds this summer and shine like a fucking diamond with manscaped and with that being said thank you jeff thank you spores lab for what you're doing for the community for health alternative health and i very much look forward to uh your guys's feedback on this episode and i'll see you at the end of this over at patreon take care everybody all right so jeff from spores lab dude great beard by the way i did have to compliment you on that beard people know each other and they love each other dude so i appreciate a good beard when i see one how are things over there in canada brother well first off right back at you with the beard i uh, love you. it <laughs> i've uh, I, I get comments quite often that my uh, my hairstyle is perfect for the job that i'm in <laughs> <laughs> it's true dude uh, but yeah, but, uh, in Canada, uh, things are going pretty well uh, with regard to the psychedelic space. Uh, and I mean, with regard to the mushroom space uh, in general, not just for psychedelic mushrooms. Um, but uh, yeah, Canada uh, is kind of leading the way uh, for uh, for psychedelic mushrooms. Um, Health Canada has given out multiple exemptions to patients and a few exemptions to doctors to actually administer a psilocybin uh, treatments and there's multiple publicly traded companies that have licenses to research and develop a psilocybin treatment um so yeah with regard to the psychedelic space i would say canada is kind of leading the world uh oregon uh, would be one state in particular that i know has um some sort of similar frame framework as to what health canada has set out uh they legalized psilocybin a couple months ago for therapeutic use so it's legal if you take it under the guidance of a registered uh, therapist. So is it similar to, I'm not sure if you're familiar with how we do medical marijuana here in the States, but it's like you go to a doctor, you get a card, and then you're able to go to a clinic. It's recreational in my state as well. Um, But is it similar along those lines? Like you have an identification type situation? 
sort of similar, uh, but I think there are more, um, I don't want to say prerequisites, but uh, there are more, I think, rules around the, uh, the psilocybin um, treatment in specific. So you're not going to be able to just walk in some, into somewhere with your card and get psilocybin and take it home and do it you know, at your leisure. Mm. Um, you would be scheduling an appointment with a psychedelic therapist and you'd bring this, the, the product to that appointment. Uh, and that would be where you, uh, would be, um, legal doing that legally. Wow. So it's like in a controlled setting. Um, you're not able to just like buy some and then go out in nature and have, have a good time. You gotta like, it's very, not legally. very regulated. <laughs> Dang. Okay. Definitely do that. But. <laughs> sure. Well, yeah, man, that's the coolest thing. Like, so I've, you know, honestly, I've done them only one time. Um, it was a really cool experience. I didn't do too many. Um, cause I'm the type of person where I can really freak out if I'm not, uh, used to something, you know, like the first time I smoked weed, um, I didn't get high, but then, you know, a- after a few times when I got high, my heart's beating all crazy. And so I just, I don't want to do anything too big boy, uh, and then, and then start freaking out. But it yeah. was really cool, man. Like the way that I would describe it to people is you would essentially like, hear colors and you would see sounds it was weird it was the weirdest thing but um you know you have this really kind of liberal government there and they that has its its you know benefits and its its downfalls obviously right one of the benefits is you guys are kind of like leading the way like you said in the psilocybin research and um you know getting those to people that need them because there are obviously healing benefits Um, but how's the situation real quick before we really dig into this with like COVID and just how every, like how they've been treating you guys. Cause I'm hearing more and more dude, that it's like a a wing of China going on. Yeah. Um, well to, to just quickly touch on, um, your psychedelic experience, uh, you went out, went about that a great way, um, with easing into it. Um, yeah, because you know, with, uh, with any psychedelic, not just mushrooms, there definitely does exist the potential to have a bad experience. Mm. Um, and that potential is amplified the larger your dosage is. Um, uh, and then to just touch on the, uh, the synesthesia, which is the mixing of emotions. That's a very, very commonly reported side effect um, from synesthesia. Uh, and you know what? So what advice would you give to somebody um, before we get into that other stuff? What would you, would you say for someone to try to have the best trip possible? Is it mindset purely or are there other things like toxins or whatever? There's a few things that you can do to try uh, that, that these things will not only um, lower the chances that you would have a bad experience, but they can also um, make the, the experience more intense, um, make you kind of get more out of less mushroom. Mm. Uh, a few of those things would be fasting prior to the experience. So I would recommend fasting for probably four to six hours at least before taking your mushrooms or any other psychedelic. Um, and then uh, the other kind of big thing is, yeah, like you mentioned, your, your set and setting. So not only your mindset and your mind state, um, but that your actual physical surroundings. Uh, there's been a few pretty interesting studies uh, that have looked at, you know, your environment during an experience. And they found that, um, that exogenous stimulation and in specific auditory stimulation can have a big effect on the experience. Um, so further to that, if anyone is looking to take psilocybin in a medicinal sense to, to try and treat um, some mental health condition, I would highly recommend looking into the John Hopkins psilocybin playlist. Uh, it's available on YouTube and they've developed that playlist over about 10 years of research. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's specifically put together to try and uh, elicit a meaningful and transformative experience. Wow. Is it just uh, music? Yes. Yeah. It's just music. Wow. Uh, and it's a couple different genres of music. It starts off with classical and actually, there's quite a bit of classical music um, throughout the playlist, and then some more like binaural. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not uh, not quite rave, but you know, sort of along those lines. Wow, that's crazy, man! And Johns Hopkins spent ten years putting this together just to try to make people trip out better. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, make make people trip out. Um, you know, and try and use that tripping or use that experience um, uh, in for their the benefit. Yeah, in the treatment of uh, depression or PTSD or addiction, or there's a whole host of mental conditions. 
But dude, you know, that's what's kind of cool, man. Like right off the bat, this is obviously the first time that we talked. It I, I get that vibe from you right away that this is strictly like a professional thing. You're not in it to try to uh spread that party type thing. You know what I mean? Or like any of that stuff. It, it like it seems like it's something very near and dear to you. Um, I've heard from like the Grimerica guys that like a serious educational system should incorporate psilocybin. Definitely. Yeah. I, I think it's uh, an experience that pretty much any, anyone can benefit from, um, you know, if you do prepare for that experience properly. So you, if you, if you are in a, a decent mind state before you go in and, you know, if you are um, not in a great mental state before you go into the experience that you're with a guide, um, but yeah, I, I do think that uh, it's an experience that that everyone can benefit from. So it probably should be um, touched on at least in, during education. Wow. Well, dude, let's talk about Spores Lab specifically a little bit. You said that you had a, a wide variety of different, uh, I don't know, what do you call them, strains or what do you call them? Um, well, it would be species. So that's, a, that's actually an interesting topic. Um, mushrooms are, fungi are uh, actually closer to animals than they are to plants. Um, so each, each different mushroom culture, uh, is actually its own, you know, its own genetic code, um, similar to the sense that every human is, uh, is also their, you know, they have their own unique DNA. Um, so even if you were to say buy one golden teacher mushroom from one vendor and another golden teacher mushroom from another vendor, although they are the same species of mushrooms, um, their DNA would be different. So similar to humans in that sense, whereas plants, um, you know, if you take one uh, cannabis and the same strain of cannabis, the DNA will be the same. Um, so, yeah, they're uh, they're they're super super interesting organisms, and we do have about forty eight of eight different species available on Spores Lab. Uh, most of those are psychedelic mushrooms that, that in the psilocybe species, uh, but we do have quite a few gourmets as well. We've got lion's mane, um, chaga. Uh, turkey tail, uh, reishi, reishi um, <laughs> oyster. That's sick. So, are you able to um, to mail these to the U.S. or is is it strictly just Canada? Well, unfortunately, we are only uh, Canada only right now. Um, okay. We would love to open up to the states eventually, um, but right now the the barrier for that is credit processing. So, to take an international payment, you need to have a third party processor. Um, and basically none of the processors will touch us until spores are legal in every state. Um, and that's actually something I, I should touch on now as well. Sure. Um, mushroom spores are actually legal in almost every state right now because the mushroom spore doesn't contain any of the active compounds that an actual mushroom has. And a spore is basically like, um, like a seed. It's what you would grow a mushroom from. Um, so the spores, they don't contain any psilocybin or psilocin, so they're legal pretty much everywhere in the world. They're legal in every state except for California, Georgia, and Idaho. Um, but those three states make it federally illegal, so uh, we, we can't, you know, we, we can't ship anything into the states. We've tried to, we've tried about five different credit processors, um, and they've all refused us service uh, because they said, you know, it's not legal in every single state. That's fascinating. Isn't Oregon up there too or no? Well, Cause I heard Oregon, something weird. Oregon spores are legal in Oregon and okay. then Oregon has actually decriminalized mushrooms themselves as well. So you can possess actual dried mushrooms in Oregon. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm looking at um, different types of, of uh, m like the magic mushrooms here and the psilocybin content is extremely low. It's a lot lower than I thought. So oh, yeah. is it, what is like the highest that you would get and what's the average basically? Uh, great question. Um, the, the one species that is kind of known as the most potent mushroom in the world is called psilocybe azurescens. Uh, and that one will typically have a tryptamine content somewhere in the neighborhood of like high 2.8 to 3.0%. Oh, wow. um, Cubensis, which is the most common species by far and away uh, because it's the easiest to grow. Um, their typical tryptamine content is between 0.6 and 0.8%. Uh, however, we have had five of our Cubensis genetics tested at a university lab here uh, in, in Ontario. Um, and the testing, we were super, super happy with the results. Uh, but we had two varieties that were over 2% tryptamine content. So closing in on that azurescence, which is the, you know, the world's most potent mushroom. 
Um, and uh, the remaining three that we had tested were all between 1.5 and 1.8% tryptamine content. Wow. So yeah, you know your stuff, dude. Times what the average is. It's funny. Like I'm looking at the site and that is the, the first one is that, um, how do you pronounce it? Psilocybe. And then it's yeah. that Cubensis one that you said. And right here, just like you said, it says 0.6. And th- this one actually says up to 1%. But you're right there with that, dude. I mean, that's, see, that's what's interesting. Because like, again, like the, the only thing I can really relate this to personally is marijuana. And like the higher THC contents are in the 30%. Yeah. So with something so potent as psilocybin, you would think that it would be a much higher content. But I just find that fascinating right off the bat when I'm looking at these. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, this, um, what is this? Um, am- Amanita muscaria, um, it has 0% psilocybin. So what would be the significance to that? Yeah. So there are a few different, uh, psychoactive mushrooms and not all of them are in the psilocybin genus. So not all of them, um, use psilocybin as the active compound. Uh, um, the Amanita muscaria actually contains a different psychoactive alkaloid called muscimol. And, um, uh, you'll see Amanita used a lot less. Uh, you'll, you know, it's fairly uncommon. Um, it's much less of a recreationally applicable experience. Um, I actually don't know too, too much about what the experience is like taking Amanita muscaria, uh, but I do know that it's toxic if you take enough of it mm. and people don't really use it um, as, a, as a recreational mushroom or as a medicinal mushroom. So Interesting. It's kind of so, uh, so what that, is that being said, it's very, very uh, easily identifiable, right? If you, if you yeah, bright red, right? Want to picture a magic mushroom? They're probably going to conjure an image in their head of that white mushroom with the the red cap with white dots on it. Yeah, it's like a cartoon looking mushroom. It was kind of interesting here, but and no, I, I mean that's that's cool that that you that you know about all this stuff so perfectly, man. And I guess you know it, it makes sense. The charts of these look really cool though, and it's just a. Um, for like for what reason is our our shrooms so highly regarded amongst um not only medical professionals but obviously um you know uh i don't know what you call them thrill seekers or like uh journey takers or whatever you want to say right why are mushrooms so sought after over like acid or ayahuasca ayahuasca is obviously a lot more difficult to to do um but it seems like shrooms are like the the end all be all um, well, it, it's, you know, all of those substances actually have, uh, very similar molecular structures and they, they all, uh, bind with the same, um, receptors in the brain. Mm. Um, but the reason in my opinion, why people might like shrooms better, uh, is because just like cannabis, uh, there's up to, I believe 35 different psychoactive alkaloids found in, in, uh, psilocybin mushrooms so far. So I believe that there is an entourage effect and it's not, um, it's not just one compound like it would be for say LSD where you're, you're just taking the, the lysergic acid diphylamide molecule. Um, when you're taking uh, psilocybin mushroom, you're getting psilocybin, you're getting psilocin, you're getting baocystin, you're getting norbaocystin. Uh, in the case of some certain species, you're getting argininocin. So I, I think that there is uh, an entourage effect there. Fascinating. And so I, I want to get into the history and like the evolution and all this stuff. But um, what I don't know if you if you happen to rattle some of these off already, but with the um, health benefits, like, um, you know, because I'm always concerned about heart disease. Um, that's something that affects a lot of Americans here and people around the world, really um, cancer, um, things like that. What are some of like those like top level um, medical benefits to psilocybin other than like just mental stuff any physical effects i wouldn't say that there is any really notable physical benefits to taking psilocybin Uh, however other gourmet mushroom species um, like shiitake in particular for cardiovascular health um, can have a significant benefit Um, so yeah there's uh there's there's tons of gourmet mushroom species or medicinal mushroom species that aren't psychoactive um, that that do have uh, medicinal uses Wow. Do, do you mind, um, other than shiitake, like what are some other yeah. ones? Cause like I said, this is something like near and dear to me, dude. Cause like my family yeah. has a history of this kind of stuff. So shiitake, you said. Yeah. So shiitake for heart health, um, for, uh, for both cardiovascular health and, uh, lowering, uh, LDL cholesterol. Okay. Um, 
Reishi is, uh, has been studied actually uh, for its anti-anxiety properties. Uh, lion's mane has been studied for its uh, neuroregenerative properties. Oh, wow. So like Alzheimer's. Exactly. Yeah. Alzheimer's and, and other um, neurodegenerative diseases like dementia. Um, and then there's uh, some interesting research going on that is combining lion's mane with psilocybin, and that's showing that it has a compounded effect. Um, but uh, for other uh, gourmet species, turkey tail has been shown to have anti-cancer properties. Wow. Uh, and uh, say the other biggest one would probably be uh, cordyceps militaris, um, which has been uh, studied to give you a, a nice energy boost. So I guess that's less medicinal, but uh, definitely has some utility still. Wow, dude, that's fascinating. Because, you know, the Alzheimer's thing is kind of interesting to me, because I don't know if you heard the statement from Joe Biden. <laughs> um, think what you want to Joe Biden. I personally cannot stand the man. Um, and Alzheimer's. <laughs> well, exactly. Well, and that's not even what I was getting at, dude. What what the problem with uh, he said something um, you know, obviously there's this huge push for vaccines and a lot of people are very hesitant um, for, uh, you know, many, many good reasons. Some are a little more farther out there than others. Um, but he was saying that in 10 years, the hospital beds in the United States are going to be filled with Alzheimer's patients. Now, whether that's going to be from this vaccine, whether it's going to be from our phone use, um, whether it's going to be, you know, drinking out of aluminum cans like I'm doing, um, there's there's all kinds of different reasons for that but something and sorry about that beeping i don't know if that's my computer or what but uh you know it's fine um but there's it's just a scary kind of concept that mushrooms and is lion's mane sorry i'm all over the place but is lion's mane a gourmet mushroom or a psycho psychoactive it's non-psychoactive so you it's completely legal to grow lion's mane anywhere in the world Okay, and is it like a, a flavored mushroom, or not a flavored mushroom, but yeah, something actually, that you would throw in food? Yeah, it does. Uh, it's it's actually highly regarded as a culinary mushroom. Uh, it's uh, got a slight, slight seafood-like taste, so um, it's a little bit like lobster. Wow, okay, nice. Yeah, because I've never heard of that, dude. So, And you sell these um, at Spores Lab? Correct, yeah. Wow, dude, yeah, that's we sell, a, we sell a whole different uh, array of genetic formats as well, so we can... Uh, offer that in a spore syringe. We can offer that as an agar culture. Um, agar is just a gelatinous medium that uh, that's used for culturing fungi. Um, so yeah, we got a, a spore syringes, agar cultures, uh, liquid culture syringes, spawn, and then ready to go fruiting blocks. So awesome, from dude. the very beginning stage to to the end of the growing cycle. So you know, if you wanted to do everything yourself, you would start with a spore syringe. Uh, if you wanted to just you know watch some mushrooms grow and harvest them, then you would start with a spawn or a fruiting block. That's so crazy, dude. Well, yeah, you're getting into the the life cycles there a little bit. Let's talk about the evolution. Um, did all mushrooms come from one mushroom, or is there like kind of different like lineages? Um, well, even farther back than that, um, it's actually thought that the dominant theory right now is that the whole the whole kingdom of fungi. Uh, did not originate on Earth, and that they were brought on an asteroid because they're so different from every other kingdom of life. Dude, they say that about uh, octopus and squid eggs, I think, too. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And so do we have any idea of the time period that this may have happened? Yeah, this is uh, approximately 2.5 billion years ago. Um, and then for about 1 billion years, uh, all life on Earth, I think, was kind of like categorized in more or less one category um, and then about 1.5 billion years ago is where you start to see splits so that's where um, um, fungi branched off from the animalia tree of life and that occurred when animals started to encapsulate nutrients in a sac which would be the stomach uh, but fungi continued to digest their nutrients at a cellular level individually um, so yeah that's kind of when uh, when you know, the classification of fungi splits off. Uh, but interestingly, fungi wasn't actually classified as a kingdom by biology until 1969. Wow, dude. Okay, well, then I got to ask you this since we're talking about asteroids. Do you believe in that kind of theory 
that humans come from monkeys that took shrooms or like had something to do with like the aliens oh, and shrooms? <laughs> what is that? What is it called? Stone, it's actually the stoned ape hypothesis. Um, okay. I, I don't think it's a theory if we're being super scientific, but whatever. Um, I think there's, uh, there's definitely some possibility that that theory probably uh, goes a little bit too far, but there's, you know, it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, I would say that it's possible shrooms were one of the catalysts, but I think that the, the stone date hypothesis uh, is kind of postulating that that was the reason I would say maybe it was, it was in combination with other factors was one of the reasons. Um, and do you want me to give like a quick overview of the stone date theory? Absolutely. Date? Absolutely. Cause I'm not too familiar with it at all. And I'm sure that the listeners would love that too. So yeah, man, get into sure. it. Yeah. So it, it was first put forth by a guy named Terrence McKenna, who's pretty big in the psychedelic space. Um, and basically the theory goes that uh, as early hominids were migrating out of the jungle and onto the savanna, they for sure would have seen mushrooms because psilocybin containing mushrooms grow on every continent other than Antarctica. And they probably would have consumed these mushrooms because they would have been hungry and consuming them gave uh, some members of certain species or some hominids an evolutionary advantage because psilocybin uh, at a medium to low dose can increase visual acuity. Um, and also, you know, if you've had a mushroom experience, you can probably attest to this. It definitely makes you think differently. It definitely makes you think outside of the box, have new novel ideas. So the stone date theory is saying that it gave certain hominids that, that did consume mushrooms an evolutionary advantage uh, and also might have been responsible for the creation of new ideas such as art, writing even uh, communication yeah um yeah so that's nuts more man. Or less the theory i mean it makes sense a little bit you know it, it's not as crazy as some other theories that you get out there you know what i mean like where <laughs> like sure. like aliens like you know mated with uh you know monkeys or whatever that that stoned ape theory makes more sense to me um, yeah. but i mean dude i'm not i'm not like an educated guy i i didn't go to college or anything like that um, but I, I think that that kind of stuff's fun, dude. And like, that's what this whole sort of experience for me is the podcasting stuff. This is one of my favorite episodes so far, just cause like, I didn't study for this. I just wanted to learn and like, you're the guy to learn from with this stuff, Jeff. So it's, it's, it's fascinating, man. Um, did and you, you know, want to go ahead? If any listeners, um, are like, if you, if anyone thinks I'm going too fast or, uh, doesn't understand any of the terminology I'm using, um, we have a full full section of our spores lab website that's dedicated to resources so it's got like you know an overview of the mushroom life cycle it's got an overview of the history of psychedelic mushrooms um, it's got an overview of all the different strains of psychedelic mushroom all the different species a supply list different growing methods um, different growing mediums growing medium recipes basically every everything that you'd want to know to grow mushrooms what's that website uh, that's our website it's sporeslab.io sporeslab.io you can go there and check that out and learn all that stuff dude that's awesome man well yeah let's so let's get into the um the evolution a little bit and the history um that was one of the things that i was excited to learn about and uh we'll try to hit all your uh all your your talking points here man i, I i'm fascinated with this already so start sure. wherever you want yeah so i guess the um the very start of uh, the history of psychedelic mushrooms would be something along the lines of that stone date theory, right? Early hominids consuming mushrooms, um, possibly getting a bit of, a, of a, an evolutionary advantage. Uh, but if we go back to kind of like recorded history, uh, the oldest recorded, um, uh, the oldest recorded instance of, uh, of what historians think is psychedelic influenced art is about 6,000 years old and it's found in Northern Australia. Um, so, and it's the form of, uh, of rock paintings, rock murals. Um, and yeah, there's, there's examples of that um, from different civilizations all over the world from like that one I mentioned in Northern Australia uh, to others been found in Northern Africa to Central America to East Asia. Um, so it's, it's, pervades uh, ancient civilization, you know, pretty much across the globe, uh, the consumption of psychedelic substances. Um, and not just tribal societies, like the Central Americans would have been, like the Australians would have been at that point. Uh, also, ancient civilizations like the Romans and the Greeks, um, notab most notably probably the Greeks and the Egyptians. 
the Greeks had a yearly ceremony called the Eleusinian Mysteries, where I don't know if you ever heard of that. I have not. Okay. Um, basically, it was a it was a yearly ceremony that was kind of reserved for the higher ups in ancient Greek society, and they would all get together and they would drink a psychedelic brew. And if you the there's like there's a one interesting thing about the Eleusinian Mysteries is if you told anyone that wasn't there what happened during the Eleusinian Mysteries, you were put to death. Wow, dude. And this was in, you said this was in Rome or Greece? Ancient Greece. Ancient Greece. And then um, another actually really notable uh, ancient civilization um, that that we think used psilocybin mushrooms were the Egyptians. Uh, And some Egyptologists, uh, one guy in particular named Stephen Berlant, uh, theorized that the Egyptians were even growing psilocybin mushrooms on barley grain. Like intentionally just because of yeah. all that. Well, dude, there's so many mysteries about the Egyptian culture and it would make sense that they would be ahead of the times with not only like this for, for um, recreational purposes, but obviously what you're talking about mostly here, which is the medicinal purposes. And um, I mean, dude, how much they tie into aliens and stuff, you know what <laughs> I mean? Like it, it got, it's got to, so there, yeah, there's a ton of ton of stuff that doesn't add up about ancient Egypt, right? Like I've I've heard that you know even with our modern uh, engineering capacity, we couldn't recreate the Great Pyramid. Yeah, and, we couldn't re- recreate it aligned to true north a structure of that size. You know, I bought a book on this the other day um, called the Orion Mystery, and I'm not too familiar with what it is, but from what I understand, it's the uh, the the three pyramids there. They line up basically directly with Orion's belt. And then there's some theories that go as far as saying like, that's where the Anunnaki come from is like the Orion stars. Right. So there's something up with that dude. And if they were messing around with these kinds of things back then, it's almost, I mean, it's, it it makes common sense that maybe they had learned about these, you know, the, the psilocybin from a a greater intelligence like that. You know what I mean? It's, it's a fascinating thing to just dive into and really think about like that, dude, were the Royals, like the the main ones that were taking those back then, like the pharaohs and yeah. things like that? Yeah, so it was reserved for the, the priesthood and the sure. royals. And even their vernacular, their terminology for mushrooms, um, their translation or an English translation of it um, is sons of the gods. So they did think that uh, there was something supernatural or something um, godly about these mushrooms. Wow, dude. Dude, imagine being the first guy to ever take one of those. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Because you know, you know, they took too many, you know, that they were just eating them just to eat. And then like, they're like, whoa, dude, what's going on? But um, no, yeah, man. Um, So so then uh, let's get into, um, we already talked about, obviously, some of the neurological benefits and things like that. Um, The Alzheimer stuff is still tripping me out, dude. I'm going to check out that lion's mane thing. Yeah, there's, and there's um, there's a few studies going on right now that are actually stacking or mixing psilocybin and lion's mane. Um, and it's showing that the the compounded effect from taking both of them is between two and three times as much as it would be from just taking one or just taking the other. So the, the effect being the Alzheimer's cure or the... Uh, so, so the effect being neurogenesis, so the, the creation of new brain cells, um, which sort of can serve to combat Alzheimer's and other neurodegenerative diseases. Dude, I would have never learned about this if you didn't say it. Because you said it tastes like lobster too, kind of. Yeah, it's Dude. pretty good. Yeah, that is uh I'm definitely gonna have to pick some up, man. So am I able as an American to buy this from you or do I still have to because I know you said that you can't send the the psilocybin. Yeah, unfortunately send... we can't send anything okay. to the States right now. And again, that's just back to the the credit processor. Processor. They look at our website and they say, Hey, you have some stuff that's supposed to be you know, we, we can't put this into the States at all. Gotcha. Okay. As the industry develops, we're keeping our eye on that. Um, and as soon as we're able to, we would love to be able to ship to the States. Yeah, man. I wonder if it would benefit you guys to set up a separate website just for the, uh, the gourmet stuff. I'm sure you thought about all this stuff, but I would just love, I'd love to support you guys, man. Somehow. Is there, is there a way that Americans can support you guys? Um, not really at the moment. Um, I guess just, you know, just go to the website and I, I guess that little bit of website traffic will be good for us. Um, but that, you know, that's mutually beneficial. Um, you know, if you're, if you're going on the website, you're probably going to learn something too. Absolutely, dude. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd like to donate to you guys or something, man, cause I'm learning a lot of 
cool stuff here, honestly. But um, okay, so then uh, you talked about you didn't really talk about the growing. You just talked about the the uh, the different chains of the uh, growth cycle. Uh, how could someone grow um, other than just these bullshit like Home Depot box kits that they send you? Dude, I tried to grow some of those in my house, and it was so gross. Like I wasn't even I wasn't able to even eat them. And I love mushrooms, but it, like it just didn't look right, dude. So. If someone wants to go about it the right way, whether it's gourmet or psilocybin type mushrooms, um, what would be like the best way other than just like super sanitary conditions? How would you like walk us through that? Well, that sterility, like you just mentioned, is definitely the most important thing. Um, I would say that if you're a beginner to growing mushrooms, you're probably going to want to start off with uh, by buying spawn instead of buying a spore syringe or instead of buying uh, something genetics in a syringe. Um, So basically the, the, we'll we'll go back to the life cycle here for a quick second. Um, But if you were going to start a mushroom growing project from scratch, you would buy some spores and you would buy what's called a spawn medium. And that can be pretty much any type of grain. You would inject the spores into that medium after you've sterilized it because sterility is huge. Um, And you need to sterilize because you're going to create a perfect environment for fungi to grow. That's also the perfect environment for bacteria. So you would inject your spore syringe into your sterilized medium. And it would take a couple of weeks for the spores to germinate and begin to grow as what's called mycelium. And once they have completely spread themselves throughout that that medium, that uh, is called spawn. So lots of companies out there will sell already colonized spawn. And it kind of takes out about half of the process. And it takes out what's really the the more difficult part of the process, um, where most people go wrong, where most people get contamination is in the early stages, right after they inoculate their spawn medium with spores. So for a beginner, I would say start off with a, a spawn um, and uh, keep a close eye on your environmental conditions. So mushrooms are quite sensitive to even slight changes in, uh, in either temperature or humidity. Um, and for pretty much any mushroom species, you're going to want to make things as constant as possible. So it's as tight of a temperature range as you can get um, and as tight of a humidity range as you can get. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, so yeah, it's obviously a very difficult process. What got you into it, man? Like, how'd you, how, how did you get attracted to this? And like, did you have to go to school to learn all this stuff? Or is it just kind of like on the job training? Or how'd you, how'd you manage to set up this lab? Well, I am uh, actually self-taught. Um, I've been uh, cultivating various agaricus mushrooms for about eight years now. Um, but uh, I'm one of five partners in Spores Lab. And uh, one of the other partners does have a background in microbiology. Um, so he's not quite a mycologist, which is what it's called when you specialize in fungi. Um, but he's a, he is a microbiologist. So to become a mycologist, you would have to go to university or college for uh, microbiology and then go back and specialize in mycology. Um, but we do have, uh, you know, some, um, some educated uh, experience on the team here. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but the majority of, uh, of what we, uh, you know, what we have learned uh, has been through hands-on experience. Damn, dude. You know, I mean, that's so cool. That's the best way to learn things. But, you know, it does kind of, it's it, that sucks, like the system that we're in, it makes it so you have to almost, like if you want to get to that level, you have to have someone on the team, it seems, that that has that formal education. And um, I think it's good to have both, right? It, it's good sure. to have the, you know, the, the super... Um, straight laced kind of side of it and then the uh the hands-on side of it yeah dude no i mean i I think it's fascinating and then um so so is there many other like competitors in canada because it seems like a very unique thing at least from you know an american um but yeah i mean is is it a saturated market or are you guys kind of ahead of the curve with this stuff um spores lab is definitely the leading provider of psilocybin genetics there are a few other companies in canada that offer gourmet mushroom stuff um and i've seen a few i've seen like in the last couple months a few other companies start to come out that are that are offering spores um but no one is really coming close to matching us in the fact that we've got like over 30 species available we've got those four different formats available the spore syringe agar culture liquid culture and spawn um 
So yeah, we're starting to see a little bit of competition, um, but I, I think we're in a really good place uh, to, to kind of stay on top of the market as, as this industry grows. Um, on the uh, on the other side of genetics, uh, which would be the actual like finished product side, there there is quite a bit of competition in Canada. Uh-huh. Now we're not even in that market. Um, we're really trying to to keep sports lab completely legal. Um, but yeah, there's probably 50 plus websites in Canada that are openly selling actual dried mushrooms, um, even other psychedelics like LSD, uh, DMT, uh, other analogs of LSD. What? Like, le- like uh, you said, it's illegal? Uh, not legally, but openly. And so how does that, I mean, how does that even last? You know, it seems like the, uh, whatever your equivalent of like the FBI or whatever would just shut that shit down. Yes. So certain cities in Canada have decriminalized uh, quite a few different psychedelic substances. Um, so I think most of these businesses are based in those cities. Um, and I think that the the government in Canada has been pretty mature about uh, about prosecuting people for psychedelic related offenses. Um, there hasn't been much of it that, that's gone on at all. I think the government knows that it's going to be legal in a couple of years and it's kind of a waste of their time and money to prosecute people for it right now. Well, so how long has that been going on? Because as you're saying, like, that does make sense that they wouldn't want to, like, waste their time or um, kind of do what the United States has been doing with marijuana, putting these people away for years over a joint or whatever. Um, you don't think the government is was involved with those, like, kind of illicit dealings at all? Um, sorry, illicit uh, how so, like, dealing with the... Like you're saying that the um, that these companies are openly selling uh, psilocybin, but you know it's not it's not legal yeah. technically, right? Yeah. Um, I just feel like that that to me that screams like government operation. Like they're they're and uh, yeah, I am the crazy conspiracy theorist type dude. Um, but it I I just feel like um, whenever the government has an opportunity to lock someone up and make some money off of them. Why wouldn't they do something like, uh, you know, these illegal, um, I don't know if you call it illegal. Well, how would you phrase it? You, you just said openly, but not legally. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's really not a way uh, to phrase it other than illegal. Like at okay. the end of the day, it is illegal. Um, but I think it's just low priority for law enforcement. Gotcha. Yeah, dude. I don't know what the freaking priorities are for law enforcement, not just yours or ours. I, I mean, all around the world, we're seeing law enforcement just act crazy, dude. So I, I find it, um, it it's refreshing that they're not going after people that are just, you know, trying to, you know, help themselves and and uh, enjoy life a little bit. But um, no, I, I find that really cool, dude. So do you have have you ever taken too many or have you ever had like a bad experience? I've taken quite a bit, but I've never had a bad experience. Really? Uh, I, you know, I think if you are in a good mind state and you're kind of at peace with yourself, uh, it's, it's going to be hard for you to have a bad experience. Dang dude. So like uh, the most I've taken is, is about four grams. Um, but that was of a certain strain called penis envy. And uh, I've heard of that. Yeah. That, that strain is, is hands down the most potent psilocybe cubensis mushroom. Um, our penis envy genetic that we had tested came back at 2.115% tryptamine content. So it's it's like within 0.7% of that as your essence. Damn dude. Have they taught you anything? Like when you're, have you had like what, like not necessarily like the most profound thought that you've had, but like, I'm sure that you're a different person a little bit each time after you have, um, you know, dosed yourself. But um, I mean, what do you think that they teach people? Yeah, I, I don't have any uh, like crazy monumental insights to share, but I do feel like every time I do mushrooms, I come out of it a better person. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like you know during that experience, um, it's going to subtly give you an indication on where you can improve. Um, an example of that would be that I used to be a little bit more overweight than I am now. Um, and after taking mushrooms for, this was probably about four years ago, I, I had a really good mushroom experience and I was like, wow, I, I need to lose a little bit of weight. Nice. And see, that's the thing, dude. Like you, I've never heard the story of people, you know, tripping out on shrooms and then they like have some crazy thought, like they want to go and murder or, or steal. You know what I mean? It's always something, like you said, you need to lose weight. You need to be a little bit less of an asshole, 
um, whatever the case is, dude. And, and that's fascinating that that these things are so stigmatized when alcohol, dude, I, I've, I've never seen something, which I, I like drinking a lot, um, but I consider myself to be a happy drunk, but I'm sure that's what the abusive drunks would say too. But, you know, it's just something like alcohol is legal and clearly a lot of people have done a lot of damage when they're on alcohol um cigarettes are you don't you don't really necessarily get a head change but it's horrible for you um obviously like the taxation has something to do with that um but i the only reason that i can think that the government would have any problem with psychoactive mushrooms is the growth what's that question things exactly exactly and you know i don't know i i was listening to some show today and they were talking about how the Internet of Things, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this whole idea, yeah. um, that and the 5G, it's putting out some sort of frequency where it's making people just like openly, sheepishly follow the government. Not everybody, because some people are already like too too deprogrammed. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a psychologist, I forget his name, he was from Spain, I believe. Um, Jose something, um, but he had this test that he was doing where he was fighting a bull and instead of like doing it normally, have you heard of this? Uh, no, I haven't. Yeah. So he was, he was fighting a bull, um, not a bullfighter by any means. He's just a, a, a psychologist, but he was testing out frequencies and in front of a bunch of people, he, uh, did this little thing where he hit a frequency and this enraged bull would right away become passive. And so it's running right at you you hit this frequency and it wants to stop and it just like walks around and then he can turn the frequency off and it'll get pissed off because they tie their balls up and that's what makes them so angry. So, I mean, just imagine that as a human having your nuts tied up and you're angry and you want to fight and then someone hits a button and you're like, Oh, never mind, That doesn't matter. You know what I mean? So with this whole thing, maybe shrooms would make more people uh, kind of be able to get out of that frequency. If that theory is true. Um, that's a super, super interesting theory. Um, and I, I think that uh, shrooms or any other psychedelic would make you break out of that passive kind of state. Um, just kind of as a side note, I, I know that there um, that I've I've read some stuff um, that the CIA has been working with different frequencies as a as a means of mind control for many 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 years. Yes, and I think that that guy that I I need to find his name his. Uh... I think he was working with them and I believe they killed him after he started talking about how frequencies can do it. And, and you know that, um, I don't know if you're big into like hip hop type music. Um, yeah. there was, remember XXX Tentacion, yeah. that guy. So he just a few uh, months before he died, he was talking about how you can put frequencies in music to change people's moods. You know what I mean? Like just a couple months before he died. And one of my buddies, um, Chaz out in Florida, was talking about how the dude was like, you know, people people don't give him as much credit as he deserved with like his chaos magic. He was very, very knowledgeable about the frequencies and about all of like the, the megahertz that you can put into things. Mm-hmm. And it can legitimately have an effect on your mind. So I, I, I do feel like, like um, you know, what's the proper way to refer to them? Shrooms? Um, Shrooms, psilocybin containing mushrooms, the, the proper mycology terminology would be uh, psilocybe mushrooms. Psilocybe. You okay. Call them you want. Cool. I just want to try and sound as smart as possible here. So psilocybe, 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 psilocybe. Okay. So yeah, like, so w- I, I just have a feeling that psilocybe would uh, have something to do with, with, uh, with changing the ideas. And supposedly that's what the pyramids were back in the day too. Not cell towers, but they were 5G type frequencies where it was like this power network and it and it kind of like spread that around so i wonder too man if the elite in egypt were taking those so that they could program their people and they could rise above that that frequency and and be able to rule over all these people you know what i mean it's a fascinating you know history but dude it's it's nuts man what else you want to get into here because you're the expert i'm just sitting here learning dude um, well, what we've covered a little bit of growing, we covered a little bit of history, um, gourmet well, stuff, Yeah, kind of the, the science, uh, behind what's going on in your brain, um, while you take psilocybin. Absolutely. Let's get into that, dude. Sweet. 
Um, so when you take psilocybin, uh, your body dephosphorylates it. So it removes a phosphorus molecule from the upper uh, right-hand side of the psilocybin molecule. And it turns it into another molecule that's called psilocin. And psilocin is actually the, the active compound that's responsible for all of the psychedelic effects, not psilocybin. Um, uh, so yeah, once, uh, once the psilocybin has been dephosphorylated into psilocin, it's able to bind with several serotonin receptors, <clears throat> uh, specifically the 5-HT2A receptor. And once that bond is made, um, that's when you start to feel all of the effects um, that, you know, that people report after taking mushrooms like the synesthesia, uh, visual, visual hallucination, euphoria, um, feelings of connectedness, and uh, yeah, just kind of the, all of the effects of shrooms. So um, that would be kind of the pharma, pharmacological look at it. Um, but there's other things that are happening simultaneously in the brain. Um, you know, in addition to those, those serotonin sex, uh, receptors being antagonized by psilocin. Um, so a few of the other things that are kind of going on in your brain simultaneously are uh, uh, incitement of cross-communication between networks that don't normally communicate uh, and dampening of activity in one network in particular called the default mode network. And that network is heavily associated with conditions like uh, depression and anxiety and PTSD. So I should actually specify that overactivity in that network is associated with uh, conditions like depression, anxiety, and PTSD. And uh, when you take psilocybin, activity in that network gets dampened. But activity in many other brain networks gets supercharged, and those other networks are, are communicating more. So are you, are, would that be a negative effect of doing too many uh, like doing it every day. I don't know if there is oh, any. No, so it's a, it's a positive effect. Basically oh, really? of the default mode network is a positive effect because uh, if the default mode network is overactive, uh, that correlates with depression or PTSD or anxiety. So you don't want too much activity in that network. Gotcha. Okay. I got it backwards. Then. Wow. So, so there's not really hardly any negatives to, to doing yeah. Other than acute discomfort, if you are having a bad experience, there oh, sure. really is no, um, yeah, no negative to psilocybin. So, like, you know, the things that they tell you, if you were to do it every day, uh, would it would it mess with your brain? Or, I mean, obviously, with any kind of medication, you don't want to overdo it. Um, but I'm just trying to see if there's anything negative about about uh, the medicinal aspects of them. Um, I I'd say that, uh, like anything else, um, you know some moderation is going to be good. Yeah, sure. sure. If you were, you know, if you were taking five grams a day, you might run into some issues. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, uh, but a, a lot of people uh, have, uh, have been microdosing in the last couple of years. Uh, and a typical microdosing schedule is, uh, is usually four days on and three days off or one day on two days off. So that's pretty regular dosage. Um, and, you know, we haven't seen any sort of evidence come out um, to, to show any type of negative um, side effect or effects period. Wow, dude. And so when someone's microdosing with, uh, with, uh, psilocybin, you would, uh, you would take like one cap, two caps. I mean, I don't know exactly how you weigh, maybe a gram. So the microdose is usually defined as one tenth of a hallucinogenic dose. Um, so it can vary from person to person, right? Like if your hallucinogenic dose is somewhere around two grams, you'd probably want to make your microdose around, um, 200 milligrams. And the, the purpose of a microdose is, is to actually not get any effects. Um, so it's meant to be sub-perceptual. So you're below the threshold of intoxication. You don't feel any different, but you do get the neurological benefits of psilocybin. Interesting. Those, neuro, those benefits would be neurogenesis um, and dampening of the default mode network and uh, incitement of cross-communication between other brain networks. That's interesting, dude. I mean, it, it, so is there one that you have that is particularly your favorite or does it depend on what you're going for? Because I don't know if like marijuana, it has like these different effects for the different spores that you may be taking. Um, but I mean, it, I don't know if that's the case. Yeah. Um, and in our, our testing that we had done actually um, confirmed that for us. Uh, but 
there are differing levels of, um, of the psychotropic alkaloids found in each strain. Um, and going back to what I said before, like each mushroom culture is technically its own individual. Um, so each mushroom culture, like even if you took one golden teacher mushroom and another golden teacher mushroom grown by two different people, they would have a slightly different both level and ratio between the psycho, uh, psychoactive alkaloids in the mushroom. Um, so yeah, where, where was I going with that? Oh, I was just asking you if you had a favorite in particular. Oh, my favorite strain, yeah. My, my favorite strain is probably penis envy. Um, really? I find okay. it's quite a bit more potent, uh, but I find it distinctly visual. And uh, with a lot of other strains, I get more of a geometric visual effect. Um, when I take the penis envy, it's a lot more wavy. And I, I like that because it's the only strain that I notice that, that has that more wavy visual um, kind of, uh, you know, visual hallucination like the stereotypical like when you see like those posters and like uh like what that that are supposed to like you know kind of try to portray what it would look like that's that's dope. no the reason i was asking i was i was kind of thinking you were going to say golden teacher because you've brought that one up a few times um here what, what's that one all about is it just kind of like a more like high profile one yeah that's kind of just the most common one um i would say the some of the most common strains would probably be penis envy uh, golden teacher and probably B plus would be another common one. And then that first one that you mentioned. Yeah. That first one that you mentioned earlier. Psilocybe as your essence. That's the really potent one. Oh, okay. That, but psilocybe as your essence is actually really, really rare. It's only found um, only found naturally uh, in the Pacific Northwest of, um, of the United States and, and Canada. Um, but yes, they're, they're really, really hard to grow. Um, to the best of my knowledge, no one has ever grown them indoors. People have grown them outdoors in outdoor beds and people have found them growing naturally, but they're really, really rare. Interesting. That's why it's significant to have a penis envy that's, that's testing you know, at 2.1% tryptamine content when the azure essence is 2.8, uh, because that azure essence is exceedingly rare. Is, so is that 2.8, is that like the absolute highest that you've ever seen the psilocybin content of, of uh, um, psilocybin? Yeah, uh, actually, no, um, there was an event that was held in Oakland, California earlier this year called the psilocybin cup and Oakland uh, as a oh, city has, has decriminalized, um, I believe all psychedelics. Um, that sounds right. That's where they did cannabis cup too, but yeah. Um, and they have, so they, they held this psilocybin cup, uh, and they got people to submit, uh, genetics from all over the place. Uh, we unfortunately didn't submit any because we didn't want to send any into the States. Sure. Um, looking at their results, we would have came in fifth place. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Based, and that would have been with that penis envy that was 2.115%. Uh, but the number one spot in the, uh, in the psilocybin cup was 3.8% trip to me. Wow, dude. Could you imagine like that'd be nuts. Okay. <laughs> Cause you said you took five grams, right. Of the penis envy. Four grams of penis envy. So that would kind of be equatable to, to more or less double that in another strain in, in an average strain. Damn, dude. Yeah, that's not because like I said, even when I just took a tiny bit, I had to have just done like maybe a gram and a half, maybe two grams. It wasn't a lot. And I'm a bigger dude. I don't know if it has much to do with your weight. It it has to, right? A little bit. Yeah. Okay. So like, you know, it wasn't crazy for me, but I wouldn't want much more for me personally. You know what I mean? Like I, I kind of like just the mellow uh, side of it. But it was cool, dude. It looked like everything had a rainbow filter. Like on Instagram, it just looked like a rainbow and colors were very vivid. And that that was about it. Um, funny enough, I talked to my dad about this a while ago, and he's a pretty straight laced dude, uh, very conservative. Uh, he doesn't go to church or nothing like that. But um, I guess he took them one time in college when he was at a bouncer. And uh, he was driving home from work. And he was like, man, these aren't doing shit. It was like a couple hours later. And uh, the car in front of him stopped. And when the brake lights went on, these lights just went past his face. And then like he, <laughs> he heard it. It was like uh, like a spaceship, he said. And yeah. like that was the main thing that he got. But he was just like, yeah, that alone was enough to make me want to do more, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, dude, it's a weird, weird little thing. And I wonder what it's really tapping into. Do you think it's kind of like letting people see into another dimension? Or do you think, um, I mean, what are your thoughts on on what it, why it has that, sort of interaction with your brain and like the chemical components of it. I, I just don't understand. It's a really good question. Um, 
you know, we, we, science can quantify exactly what's going on in the brain um, when you take psilocybin, and that would be the antagonistic effect on the serotonin receptors, the 5-HT receptor group, um, and the, the brain networks communicating and dampening of effects in the default mode network. Uh, but we can't explain a lot of other things about a mushroom experience um, like, for example, the fact that uh, different people all over the world report having similar experiences um, or uh, or that and that that goes back all the way through history, too. Right. You'll get you know, reports of um, people in ancient civilizations on other sides of the world that that have a similar experience with mushrooms. Um, yeah, whether it's another dimension or it's kind of tapping into some universal consciousness I don't know, but uh, it's super interesting. Yeah, that was one thing I wanted to ask you too with the, with the Well, everyone, that wraps up the free portion of my episode with Jeff. Please head on over to sporeslab.io. Check out all the great information that they have regarding mushrooms, both gourmet and psychedelic. And to hear the remaining portion of our conversation, head on over to patreon.com slash dangerous world podcast.